invite you to turn your Bible this morning to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. It's interesting, as I was preparing for the message, uh, and really last night, the Lord was, uh, sometimes when you study a passage for a while and you're preparing to preach on it, sometimes God will just shift your focus a little bit, like, okay, this is great, but I want you to focus more on this end. And so in the bulletin, it's, it's uh, the message entitled, The Eternal Purpose of God, which we will get to that, and we'll cover it a little bit in the message. But the title of the message today is called, really, The Mission of God. I think that probably better explains it. Uh, in the bulletin, it mentions Ephesians 3. We will get to it later. But I think the, the passage that God really kept bringing me back to is a, probably a familiar passage to most of us, but it's found in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it stood, and it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, Twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly, and cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. One of the things is we've talked about missions here this month. Uh, we had a great missions conference, as was mentioned a moment ago. Uh, I encourage you, yes, to sign up to get those messages again, to hear them again, and may our hearts be stirred over and over with what God is doing to the Jew first and also to the Muslims. Amazing, amazing work of God as we proclaim the gospel of peace. Today, I want us to focus really kind of more on the theology of missions, why missions is needed, and what is our part in that. We think of Isaiah and his calling, uh, and he said, here am I, send me. And a lot of times when we think of missions and we think a lot of that, a missionary says, yes, Lord, I will go. I'll go wherever you want, just not Africa. You know, we, that's kind of a joke that goes on. But still, that's kind of the focus of it. But we have to really consider where does missions begin? What is the purpose of missions? And we're going to talk today about the mission of God. It was the famed explorer and missionary to Africa, David Livingston, who said, God had only one son and he made him a missionary. Our God is a missionary God. The Bible we have is a missionary book. Jesus Christ was a missionary. As we think about that, I want to share with you just a brief history of David Livingston. There's much that could be said about really a giant of a man. Uh, if you're, I encourage you to read a missions biography, maybe at least once or twice a year, and he would be one I would definitely recommend to you. But David Livingston, he was born in, in, in Scotland in the year of 1813. He was a studious child. He was also a very hard worker. Uh, and uh, th those years really formed him. And, but he wasn't saved until in his later years, later teen years or close to 20. And then it was at that time he became burdened for the cause of missions to, around the world. And actually he first thought about and prayed about going to China, even started learning uh, some of the Chinese languages and prepared his heart to go to China 
But he was especially, though, challenged after he heard a message by another missionary to Africa named Robert Moffat. And Robert Moffat, in talking with, and actually with um, Livingston afterwards, uh, Moffat gave testimony to the fact. He said that, I had sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary had ever been. Robert Moffat was a pioneer missionary in Africa, the dark heart and the dark continent at the time. And a lot of things that were going on there. And God stirred within the heart of David Livingston to do exactly that. And so he actually he joined the London Missionary Society and then eventually surrendered and went to, to Africa and began working uh, in different areas. He worked in South Africa a while, different areas. And then eventually he ended up marrying Robert Moffat's daughter, uh, Mary. And, uh, they, and she was a pioneer girl herself. These were tough folks. They were cut for this type of ministry. Not many people could do what Livingston did. Not many people could keep up with him either. Okay, he reminds me a lot of my father-in-law. <laughs> okay, just a tough act to follow. But nonetheless, God did some amazing things. So again, he his heart though his goal was to establish mission stations in the heart of Africa, and eventually he he viewed this especially with the slave trade that was going on at that time. Uh, his goal was really to develop mission stations that would become places of commerce and work, and that through that, the gospel would reach the interior of Africa. And that was his overall goal, that these mission stations would be beacons of the gospel that would give hope to a very dark world and a dark continent. He faced, Livingston faced many trials, loss of his family members, having to bury even his own child. He faced a, a very famous account of attack by a lion, mauled his arm, and that he later healed from. He dealt with very, very serious health issues as well, but he still pressed on. But it's interesting, the telling of the heart of a man of David Livingston. One entry in his journal it was a prayer that, it was actually written on his birthday. It was a prayer that revealed his focus on the work that God had called him to do. And maybe many of you have heard this. It's actually a song as well. Love for us to sing it as a congregation. And it simply says, Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. That's he wrote on his birthday there on the mission field in Africa. He cried as the prophet Isaiah did, Lord, here am I, send me. It's interesting, despite the numerous hardships that Livingston faced, what kept him going? What kept David Livingston going? It's the simple fact that he took comfort in the great promise that our Lord gave in the Great Commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. But it was the last part of the Great Commission that really held Livingston's focus for the work call he called him to do, and it was this. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, unto the end of the age. That's what kept Livingston going in his focus, that the Lord's promise was to be with him no matter where he went. This is really amazing when you think about that. When we think of missionaries, we think of missions work, our church, we're blessed here to have 22 uh, families that we support, ministries. We praise God for each and every one of them. We praise God for the work that's being done in all the world. We still have and we continue to have this month the flags of the countries that are, are represented in our missions program. And I thank God for the way he's worked in Victory Baptist Church in regards to missions. 
My, my prayer is this, that even through this message, that we will not just be a mission-minded church, but we will be a missionary-minded church. That we will simply not send, ourself, send others, but we will also go as well. That we will answer the call, what God has called us to do. But I have to ask this question, where does a study of missions begin? Where do we study this? I like what uh, Bible scholar Harold Lenzel said. The Bible is a missionary book. And the source of its missionary zeal lies at the heart of God himself. Jesus Christ is God's missionary to a lost and dying world. And the entire sacred scriptures is a description of God reaching down and reaching out towards sinful men for the purpose of redeeming him. So again, where does missions begin? It begins with the heart of God and, God, and knowing him. I think sometimes when we praise the Lord for each result that happens, we rejoice to hear of souls saved, those who have been baptized, churches established, school, whatever it may happen as a result of that missionary effort. It's interesting that when you look at the life of, of David Livingston, if you look at the mission stations, there's a lot of people who actually discredit him because a lot of those mission stations that he tried to start really did not succeed. Some did, but many did not. We think of missionaries going out, being in the bushes, and seeing thousands of people coming to know the Lord as their Savior. David Livingston, he only reported one soul that got saved. And even that person oftentimes backslid and had to come back. Was he a successful missionary in that regard? It's interesting. When we think about this, I want us to think about where does missions begin? It begins with knowing who God is and also seeing through his word the scope of, of the missions. But also, where does, missions, where does missions not begin? Okay? Where does missions not begin? Where does it, does it not start? And I think this is where a lot of times we get tripped up a little bit. We kind of put the cart before the horse. And this might challenge your thinking a little bit, but I want us to say this. Missions does not begin with world evangelism. Whoa! said, Pastor Aaron, some churches I would be kicked off the stage, Okay? <laughs> But what do we mean by that? Why do I say that missions does not begin with world evangelism? Now, I believe that it's a very important part of missions. All right? I'm not negating that. I believe the Bible is very clear on that. Okay? World evangelism is, is, is very important. However, here's the thing. Even though this is, this is God's will, this world evangelist simply addresses the human need of salvation. Okay? And so success and failure is if achieved or not, okay? Let me give you a case in point. And I, I mentioned this on a Sunday night here uh, back a few weeks ago when we were talking about developing a philosophy of missions. I have a, a friend of mine who's in missions, a missionary, and as he was going around on deputation, he was at a certain church, and their policy in their missions program is that in order for us to support you, you have to win at least 50 souls a month to the Lord. And you know what? That sounds really good. But what are they doing? They're putting the human need out there. That's, that does, is not what drives missions. And so the thing is this. This man, friend of mine, he was going to a country that was very difficult. He was luckily to see 50 souls saved maybe in a year or two, let alone a month. It's just the, the hardship of that. Maybe in that certain community where that church is, that'd be great. But the thing is this, I said, my brother says, you're going to do one or two things. Either you're going to lie and put that on your report, or you will be very honest and just say, hey, you know what? God bless you, but I will do what God has called me to do. So the thing is this, this is why I say missions does not begin with world evangelism. I think that's the end 
result of it, but that's not where it begins, okay? Because why? We view in our society, even in American society, we view it on a business model, I'll be honest with you. How is a church successful or how is a missionary successful? We want to see results. We want to see an ROI, a return on investment. That's how we think of that. Folks, God's economy doesn't work like that. Let me just ask you this question. Even in Jesus' ministry, when he calls the disciples and his, does his public work, he does his healings, and we know, let's say, the feeding of the 5,000. What a wonderful thing. People were following Jesus from all over because of the miracles of what he did. But what happened? Throughout the course of that, those numbers started fading. And when Jesus ended up in Gethsemane, even his own disciples abandoned him. Was Jesus successful? In our economy, no, he failed. But you know what? He did what was right in honoring the will of the Father. Missions begins with God himself. This is where we need to go. So missions is not successful. I want to give you another story of Adoniram Judson, who went to Burma, went, went to first to India, met with Carey, William Carey and all that, eventually goes to Burma. Did you know that it took Adoniram Judson six years before he saw his very first convert to the Lord? Was he a success or a failure? He was obedient to the Lord. God blessed him. Well, like I said, I think that sometimes we put in our own eyes. But as we think of missions, missions begins with God himself. And why? For the glory of God to be seen. What I mean by that, in Revelation 4.11, the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things... And for thy pleasure they are and were created. The purpose of God and the mission of God begins with God himself and that his glory may be seen throughout all the earth. We should praise the Lord. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Thou hast created all things. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Missions exist for the glory of God. It begins with that. Why do we need missions then? God is self-sufficient. He doesn't necessarily need us, per se, but he does that. He created us for his glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But here's the fact, as one preacher has said, missions exist, why? Because worship doesn't. Missions exist, why? Because worship doesn't. The reason why we send missionaries, we deputize. Remember, deputation is not what a missionary does. That's what a church does. We deputize these servants of God to go to, to other people, other languages, other people groups, crossing cultural and or geographical boundaries to preach Christ where he's largely unknown. Okay, that's the work of a missionary. Okay, but we do that as we deputize these missionaries. They're going to places where the worship of God does not exist. And they're there to declare his name among the nations, among the peoples. And in that, he will reap to him a harvest of souls. Praise God for that. So one preacher said this, talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? He says, the gospel is the call to know and worship God. It's the primary conviction of the messenger, of the servant, that God is worthy to be known. Isn't he? Our God is worthy to be known. Only then can the church truly respond to the command to declare his glory among the nations. I want to point us back, if you're still there, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Look what Isaiah encountered. We always go to verse 8, here am I, send me. But it starts with this very important fact in Isaiah 6. Look with me in verse 3. 
And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It begins with the glory of God. What Isaiah encountered here was the worship of God. And when he understood what it meant to worship God, he was ready to say, here am I, send me. We're going to talk more about that in a second. In Psalm chapter 72, verse 19, it says, And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This is the passion, the mission of God, that his glory be over all the earth. That the nations would see his glory and see who God is. That is how we share the gospel. The gospel we, we present here is that we have a glorious God. Perfect, holy, just, righteous, infinite, all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing. And we declare his name and his goodness among the nations, among the people. Whether it be Maple Grove, even Rogers, Elk River, they needed it. <laughs> but really, all over the world, the world, Arizona, hey, they need it too. They need to know the glory of God. They need to see him. And we declare his name among the nations, folks. It's by knowing who Christ is, who God is, and sending His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for sinners like you and me, that we be redeemed of Himself. Why? That we be saved. Sure, that's great. But it's to glorify Him, to glorify the Father in heaven. This is our, our, it's, it's amazing when you think about this. This is what this is all about. This is what the mission of God is all about. When we think about this, another preacher said this, when the biblical mission is demanded and defined by man's needs and designed according to human wisdom, then that mission ceases to be God's. Let me read that again. This is going back to what missions is not. When biblical missions is demanded and defined by man's needs and and designed according to human wisdom, then that mission ceases to be God's. I mentioned about that one church had that quota. You have to meet these certain number of souls for us to keep supporting you. That's the, car, that's the cart driving the horse, okay? We think about that's based on human needs. Now, we want souls to be saved, folks. I'm not negating that. We praise God for each soul that rings the bells of heaven, folks. All right? We praise God for that. But when we think about that, I think another thing, too, and let me get it more practical, and probably you have met this, too. I actually met someone here just recently. When we were describing, we were having a missions conference here recently, well, it caused some confusion because if you talk to a lot of people, even in, I'm saying in other churches even, I don't care what denomination, what is going to come to their mind when you talk about a missions program or missions? Well, oh, are you feeling the homeless? Praise God, we do. In love, word, indeed. We've got a barrel downstairs, by the way. Don't forget it. Okay. Is that a good thing to do? Absolutely. But a lot of people, and I talked to another guy, I actually talked to my brother about a, a church in the area, and their missions was simply this. They help with a, a women's shelter or feeding the homeless, things like that. Now, all those things are good, but how does that develop in a scope of declaring the glory of God among the nations around the world? So I asked him, does that church, do, uh, do they do any type of international work beyond their community? And they said, well, they, this church does have some type of a, a church or a school in Ethiopia that they do help out. And I said, well, do most of the people in the church, do they, do they even know about it? He says, probably not. How are then they obeying the Great Commission to declare God's glory among the nations? Folks, our churches do not really understand what missions all, is all about. 
Because why? I don't think they have a proper view of who God is. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about a man or a person is their view of God. How you view God determines everything in your life. And when you see the glory of God, you cannot help but declare his name to others around you, to the world. Praise God. So here's the thing. World evangelism is good, but by itself is not a biblical missions program. Why is that? Because the Great Commission, what did Jesus say? Go ye therefore into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. That's evangelize. And then next thing is what? To baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the third thing is to what? Teach them to observe all things. That's to stabilize. I like what Pastor Dave Grosky, our sending pastor, he said this. The Great Commission is evangelize, baptize, and stabilize. That's what you do. And the Great Commission needs to cover every aspect of that. Okay? We praise God for that. But when we simply say, hey, we just got to reach souls for Christ, I know some, one guy, he went down to South America. And his whole idea, in fact, I don't even need to learn Spanish. I'll just go there and I'll just sit on a street corner and I'll hand out tracts to, to people. Well, could God use them? Sure, God can use that, but he will never be effective because why? He's just barely getting a foot in the door of the Great Commission to evangelize, baptize, and stabilize. I've seen so many churches, folks, and maybe we're guilty of this too. I hope not. We've seen people get saved. I know some churches, they've mentioned hundreds of people getting saved, but there's only two baptisms. Something is missing. We're not obeying the Great Commission, folks. We need to evangelize, tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is, and that they would follow him in believer's baptism. By the way, we do have a baptistry, folks. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's right here. Let's get it open. Let's see people follow the Lord, amen? And let's see them stabilize. Let's teach them to observe all things, following the Lord, discipleship, life-touching life. This is what this is all about, okay? And in doing that, we need to declare the name of God. Here's the point. When we think about this, your view of Christ will determine your view of missions. Let me say that again. Your view of Christ will determine your view of missions. Because to have a heart for God is to have a heart for people. And that's the heartbeat of Christ. It starts with God himself. Where does missions begin? It starts with God himself. Your view of God. Who is God to you? Someone I go to is talk about on Sunday. Bless your heart, as we say down south, all right? But that's, but that's not a compliment, okay? All right? As we think about that, who is God? He is majestic and holy. Take time reading Isaiah 6, for example, knowing who this God is. But let's talk about more in depth now. Missions then calls us to know God and declare his glory among the nations. We see this in missions that Abraham, in a way, was, in a sense, the first missionary. He was the one who crossed cultural and or geographical boundaries to preach Christ where he was not known. In Genesis 12, God says to get you out of your country, from your father's house, from your kingdom, to a land that I will show you. He says, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. And through you, Abraham, all nations and all families of the world will be blessed. God says, Abraham, get up and go. In, in Genesis 12, verse 4, what did do, Abraham do? He went. He left. And he went to the land that God has, has promised him. He declared God's glory among the nations. That was the call of Abraham. In Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses at the burning bush. That when Moses was there at the burning bush, he comes and says, who is this? And he says, who, and basically God is sending him. And, God, and Moses says, who will I say have sent me? He says, I am have sent you. By the way, on Wednesday nights, we've been covering a series on the I am's 
of Jesus. The seven I am sayings from the book of John. By the way, there's still time. If you missed one, come this Wednesday. We're going to we'll try get close to finishing it. Carol will try to drag it on a little bit longer for you. Okay. All right. It's been a good study. We find out who God is. When you know more about who God is, you want to declare his glory among the nations. This is what the message is here. And now we come to the call of Isaiah. In a, what we find here, there's three major things that happen here in Isaiah. Isaiah, first of all, had a life-changing encounter with God. How, where does missions begin? It begins with your encounter with God. In verse 1, it says in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He sees God, he encounters God, and this moment changed him forever, changed Isaiah forever, and set him on a new direction, a new path. This is exactly what we need to do for each and every one of our missionaries. One thing I love to do when we meet them, I love, whether it be when we're asking questions or one-on-one, I ask them, tell me, how did God call you into missions? And I'm always delighted. It says God through his word, through maybe different experiences, things like that. But God spoke to them and basically led them to do that. What it amounts to is this. They had an encounter with God. I remember when I was 15 years of age, I was at Solid Rock Bible Camp up near Pillager, Minnesota. The same camp I got saved as a young child, but it was when I was 15. I was helping out the camp that summer. And through my own study and through another missionary, a good friend of mine who's now with the Lord. Anyways, the Lord just broke my heart for the cause of Christ around the world. And at 15 years of age that summer, I surrendered my heart because why? I had an encounter with God. The glory of God that must be declared. And yes, even as a teenager, God worked in my heart to go to preach Christ where he is largely unknown. Folks, every one of us can have that calling. Preach Christ where he is unknown. He had a life-changing encounter with God. We also see another key important thing. For for Isaiah to be sent, another thing had to happen. In verse 5 it says this. After encountering God and his holiness, verse 5 says, Then I said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell with a people with unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He understood his situation. He was convicted because of his own uncleanness. He was undone. When we understand this, that for folks going into missions, man, I've probably met some people, maybe him too, they're ready to take on the world. I mean, they have all the talents. They can do everything. Okay? They can do a tap dance. I don't know what they can do, but they can do it all for the Lord, and they do it in their own strength. Folks, that will only get you so far, and you will burn out. Isaiah understood his need for, for God to cleanse him, to purify him as he went on. He understood in humility of who he really was. Again, for us to go into missions as well, each missionary, each person must understand that we are also unclean, needing God's purging and God's touch in our own lives. In this, that Isaiah was also then called to declare God's message. It says again in verse 8, After his sin was purged, he says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. What a beautiful passage here. I like what uh, missionary Henry Martin, many years he wrote this, that the spirit of God is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. And that leads us to the greatest missionary of all. That's Jesus Christ. As Jesus came in this world, it's interesting, we talk about his glory being declared among the nations. What does John 1.14 say? That... Basically, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what? We beheld his glory. 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory, the glory of God came in the person of Jesus Christ. This is who we declare. And while the world in their darkness and their sin hides their face from the light, which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. Understand this. He came unto his own. And what was the reaction? His own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Praise God for a life transformed because of the glory of God, for the glory of God. And for, the, for Jesus Christ. So with that, understand this, that each and every one of us are in need of that touch of God. Because of our sins, we have been separated from God who is in heaven. Each and every one of us desperately needs Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ can atone for your sin, can take your sins away. And he calls upon everyone to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. For what he's done, Jesus Christ died on that cruel cross for you and me. He was buried and he rose again. That's the gospel. That's the message that we proclaim all for the glory of God. I invite you to turn with me as we've looked in Isaiah 3. I want you to just turn now to Ephesians 3. This is where I started my study this week and ironically this is where it's kind of finishing. But in Ephesians 3, and during the missions conference, uh, Dr. Ed Frampton, he actually preached a little bit on this passage here. And some of this will be reviewed from that, but nonetheless, I want to point out really one particular thing in this passage. Look at the Ephesians 3, verse 8. It says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints, talking about the Apostle Paul's testimony, is this grace given that I should preach the gospel among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now into the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Here's the point, verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus Christ our Lord. The mission of Christ, the mission of God is found in the purpose of God right here. And then the end result is this, verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Again, it all centers back. The, the purpose of Christ, the eternal purpose of, of God, is that Jesus Christ would be magnified and glorified among all else. And we see that through the church. We see that here, especially in this passage, that the gospel goes to the Jew as well as to the Gentile. And guess what? Because of his wisdom, that's Jew and Gentile in the church of God. Let me share with you a blessing that was in our lives when we were living overseas in Israel. That the church that we had was Messiah Baptist Tabernacle, still going on. But the church actually, believe it or not, began as a Filipino Bible study. And that uh, was back in the 90s. And uh, the Lord just blessed in different ways. And that church grew. At its height, there was over 200 people that were coming to the services there. Uh, a lot were foreign workers. A lot of Filipinos are there uh, doing uh, home care and other things in, in Israel. But nonetheless, we had uh, a lot there. But anyways, we also started seeing people from other countries started coming as well. When we served over there... About at the time we left, that half of our church was Jewish. Uh, there were Israelis or from the former Soviet Union and other places as well. But we also saw a variety of people from the Philippines, from Burma, from Nigeria, from Sierra Leone, from Kenya, from Germany, from Korea, from American Expats, working in the State Department, other places. 
and we had a, 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 basically people from all over the world. We had people from Sudan. Sudan, before South Sudan became a country just a few years ago, these people came and, as refugees. And here they are in our church, having this multitude here. What does this remind me of? It says what Revelation says, that there will become out of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, a multitude redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We saw a little taste of heaven. One day, and we might not appreciate as much here, folks, but I rejoice in the fact that when we get to heaven, we will, it's not just good old Minnesotan Christians that will be in heaven, or even just good old American Christians that will be in heaven. It will be from all over the world that God has touched, that his glory was declared among the nations for people like David Livingston, Adoniram Judson, and the people that even we support here today. We praise God for that. When I was in Bible college, we had to memorize what's called the eternal purpose of God. This is written by Dr. Daryl Champlin. Dr. Daryl Champlin is now with the Lord. He actually served for many years in the Belgian Congo. And uh, then after Civil War, they actually end up going to South America, Suriname. And, uh, and his son is still there. A different part from where uh, the Mariners are at. But nonetheless, this is what we had to memorize of the eternal purpose of God. The eternal purpose of God is this, is to call out from every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, a multitude redeemed by the blood of his Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, over whom he will crown his Son, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, King of kings and Lord of lords, forever. This is the passion of the heart of God that cannot be quenched, the obsession of his mind that cannot be denied, and the vision of his eyes from eternity past into eternity future that will not dim. And the destination which he has committed is omnipotent, immutable, eternal being, a destination he will not abandon. In other words, the end result is that Christ, the King of glory, will rule, will rule supreme over this world, and his glory will be over all the earth. What does he call us to do in the meantime? Declare his name among the nations. This is the mission of God. This is the eternal purpose that drove David Livingston to surrender his life to God in the heart of Africa. In the last few weeks of his life, David Livingston wrote, Nothing earthly will make me give up my work in despair. I encourage myself in the Lord my God and go forward. As his body grew weaker, he was placed in an African hut. And that day, several servants kept a watch at the door as David Livingston was on his knees in prayer, as he often did. But after a prolonged period of prayer... One of the servants named Matthew went in to help him into his bed to rest. He was very sick. And as he touched David Livingston, David Livingston fell over. He was gone. He died. And he died how he lived, in prayer and communion with God. The, the natives that were there, they took his body, they took his heart out, and they buried it under a tree there on African soil. And his body was then taken and brought to England where he was given a state funeral and is then buried in Westminster Abbey. As David Livingston, we also, as with David Livingston, I pray this, that we would know the mission of God, that we become not just mission-minded, but missionary-minded. Why? For the eternal pleasure and glory of God. He delights when his name is known, irregardless of the results. I like this. We're not necessarily to be soul winners. We'd be soul warners as we think about that. Declaring his name among the nations. May God stir within our hearts the mission of God that we would see God like even as Isaiah did. 
Our lives are forever changed. We understand our own sinful condition, that we need to be purged and live holy. And that, as a result of that, God uses those choice servants to say, who will go for us? Here am I, send me. I finish by re-quoting that prayer that Dave Livingston wrote. Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Answer and sever any tie except the tie that binds my heart to yours. For that, we give glory to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. Let's declare his glory among the nations.